Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're coming to you here on a sunny, beautiful Sunday evening here. Uh, one of Dan and I's favorite times to record is always anytime on Sunday before 8 o'clock. So Dan, how are we doing on this fine Sunday? Did we have a good weekend? Stay busy? Yeah, no, it was nice. Uh, first off, excited for the pod. But two, um, first weekend in a couple weekends here where I haven't had company in town. Um, not that having company wasn't great. It was awesome. Yeah, it, was, seriously. it was better to just stick in your, you know, well, it, I'm a creature of habit. So being able to stay on the routine and not, uh, have anything kind of knock me off was awesome. Uh, Friday was the best day of my, uh, week though. We got to do a little, uh, work from home together, dude. It was awesome. That was, that was good. We, we, we hung out a little bit. Um, we don't have to talk about the the logistics of, of what we did or when we did no. because this is a recorded platform. It is public and I do have higher ups, supervisors that could hear it. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but it was it also embarrassing. It so we don't need to rehash it. Yeah. Well, it was really good. Did you call your mom today? Of course. First thing I did this morning. Good. Phoebe, not mom. if you called your mom. You call your mom today? Good, good. We got we got three for three on calling the moms on Mother's Day. That's that's the. Did you text your mother-in-law, there. Trevor? Oh, oh I texted not I there also, yet. As I was calling my mother, I fired off a text to the mother-in-law, bright and early. Check check it's that. I'm just trying to. Te- I'm in a competition for favorite son-in-law, so I'm just trying to. Technically not mother-in-law yet, so I got some some. Doesn't matter. Smooth sailing here. Um, a little <laughs> bit of time. We got a, We got another year and a half, or two years. Two years before I have to make that text on Mother's Day. And secondly, they two were years. at her brother. Yeah. Well, we're getting married after Mother's Day of next year. No, but see that like you're doing about this <laughs> Phoebe Child right. here. He should be firing this text off now. They're engaged. This is ridiculous. Yeah. See, 
Phoebe agrees with me. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, because what happens? What happens when her sister gets a gets engaged and then he's firing off texts, sending flowers? I'm trying to help not, you here. I'm not. I'm firing not worried. Shots. I'm I ain't worried. You. I ain't worried. <laughs> but uh, anyway, to the baseball content. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. You know you're greatly appreciated. Uh, wanted to Phoebe wore pink today in honor. Um, don't know if that was intentional or not, um, but in honor of Mother's Day here. But got a really fun episode here today. It's going to be Dan's full on picture perfect episode here we got all pitching content uh we're going to talk a little bit about two guys that throw elite fastballs there's no way around it and bryce miller and spencer strider julio arias dan's got some questions he's going to break him down he's going to try and solve what's been going on for a guy who's been solid but not great in a walk year we're going to start a segment today that Dan and I are both super excited for. It's called MLB Dictator. We'll obviously tease that a little bit now, but people can kind of picture what that's going to be. And then lastly, we're going to finish with another game of Would You Rather. So really a lot of fun content today, making sure uh, you guys are listening all the way through because it'll be a lot of fun. But Dan, when we think about the guys, Bryce Miller and Spencer Strider, and you think about their fastball specifically, what are some things that stand out to you that, that make these guys, guys you want to talk about? Well, what's so interesting is since Strider debuted last year, right? It's kind of been accepted that this guy has the best fastball in baseball. Um, And you could see it in the numbers. And if you just turned on the game, and didn't even dive into the numbers and just watched him pitch. It was clear that he was basically a two-pitch pitcher. He was fastball slider, and it was predominantly fastball heavy. I mean, he was he, he's coming right at you, and he threw it for strikes, which was kind of some of the impressive things because a lot of times when guys um, break into the big leagues and they have one elite pitch, they're still a little bit kind of picking and choosing with it just because, you know, one, the zone is a little smaller than the minors, but B, you're facing big league hitters. He didn't do that. And for a guy throwing this fastball last year, he threw it 67% of the time, which is unheard of, but something that I've mentioned a million times on here, my philosophy is use your best pitch the most. And when it's your fastball, it's a lot easier because that's obviously the easiest pitch to command. And it's probably your best pitch. Um, your If it's your best pitch, it's a lot easier to throw more. So 67% of the time, he was no fear when he came up. And then this year it's almost gotten better. His stuff has gotten better. He's down. He's thrown it a little bit less just because the slider's taking a step forward. But when you look at his fastball, what he does is the fact that it it, it looks like an invisible, which is kind of the term that you and I both use for it, where guys swing at it and it looks like they're swinging at ghosts. Like they're not even close to it. You know, they're swinging underneath of it. Sometimes they're swinging over it. They're late. Um, and then all of a sudden May starts and Bryce Miller debuts for the Mariners, which, again, pat on our back. We called for them to make a rotation change, call up one of their, their prospects that they have because they have a couple guys in that farm system in Seattle that are really good on the mound. They call up Bryce Miller, and he starts throwing his fastball, and it's like, oh, there's a guy with a better fastball than Spencer Strider. Um, and I think, you know, I'll let you kind of give your thoughts on them here in a second because I'm kind of curious from your hitting perspective what you think. But I also want to get into, and I, I wonder if, this is going to be the new thing that if we're going to keep seeing these guys that are drafted, like we're saying this about Spencer Strider and Bryce Miller. And then in two years is Paul Skeen's going to debut. And we're going to say, Oh, we got another guy with a better fastball. I wonder if just now the way that we know how to train, the way we understand movement and metrics and pitch shaping and pitch design, 
if that we're just going to keep seeing guys with fastballs that get better? I think so. I think I think there is an innate way to throw a fastball. If that makes any sense, like the ability to spin a fastball the way that Bryce Miller does, the ability to make sure your finger orientation is perfectly behind the baseball to get that necessary backspin and that necessary carry, right, that you're talking about where you kind of create that invisible. I think that's something that is always going to be an innate skill that certain guys are going to have and certain guys aren't going to have. I think where we're at now is everybody has so much information and all that information is so good that there's no questions about the guys that throw a good fastball that can do the carry thing, the high up in the zone fastball, the high vertical moving fastball, the backspun fastball, and then the guys that can sink it, right? And I think everybody is so aware of what they do well and what they do not do well that they're able to use their fastball the best way possible. So like when we look at these guys that are specifically unicorns at what they do, they have these fastballs that are you know, one percenters of, you know, vertical movement, one percenters of drop in perception to the hitter. I don't know if we're ever, ever going to see a guy that like completely knocks them out of the water, right? Where like, this is the expectation where everybody's a unicorn or Paul Skeens comes up after his year at LSU, you know, let's just say he falls to five or six twins, grab him. He's pitching in the bullpen this year for a playoff stretch. Is he going to come out and be better fastball profile than Bryce Miller? That's, well, that's what I'm asking. Like that, and that to me, that's the whole question is, is like, it, it might be impossible to do, but just the fact that Bryce Miller kind of just seemingly came out of nowhere, well-regarded prospect by all means, don't get me wrong, but not the top arm in their, their farm system as graded by, you know, baseball America. He wasn't, you know, one of the higher, there's a couple guys who are highly rated above him, you know, guys like Andrew Painter, and Grayson Rodriguez before he came up. So it's like, this guy wasn't kind of sitting here, but, and that's the same with Spencer Strider. Like Spencer Strider wasn't the top pitching prospect in baseball. The thing to me too, that I think part of the reason why we don't know it is because the hitters they're facing, right? Like you to dominate double A and triple A is one thing, but then to see that pitch and, and like, you know, I think a lot of people and I would be the same way too. I would sit there and, and if you're watching these guys every day and you're trying to evaluate them at that level, you're saying, okay, well, Spencer Strider's using his fastball in the minor leagues 60 to 67 to 70% of the time. That's not going to work in Major League Baseball. That's not going to work. So, you know, he's going to have to adjust, and that's why you don't grade him out as high. And then he gets to Major League Baseball, and it's like, no, 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 no. His fastball is that good. He's going to continue to use it 60% of the time, and he's going to continue to dominate hitters. And the thing for me that's so um, kind of interesting about it, because if, if you're just kind of an outsider who – doesn't really, you know, understand some of the metrics or when we talk about perceived movement and stuff like that, like you just think, okay, the guy's got a really good fastball. It must be really hard. Well, yeah, that helps, but everybody throws a billion miles an hour. So why is Spencer Strider and Bryce Miller's fastball better than the 95, 96 that, you know, Garrett Cole throws? Well, how they kind of achieve it is what makes it so interesting. And also I think some of these teams have started to do such a good job of understanding how these guys should use their fastball. Spencer Strider, is a lower slot guy. He's a short guy, right? He's really small. He's got huge legs, which is where he generates his velocity from. But he kind of, he comes from a little bit of a lower slot, slot especially if you're thinking about a guy like uh, Bryce Miller. And then he he powers that thing up in the zone. So his movement, right, is a, it, he backspins it. Nobody truly gets complete backspin on it. But because he's throwing it from a lower slot and then rides it to the top of that zone, it looks like 
it's spinning even more to the hitter straight up. And it looks like it's actually moving from down to up. The thing that I've started to notice with Bryce Miller is everyone would expect that he'd just pepper the top of the zone too, because he's a higher slot guy. He's a bigger guy and he gets that ridiculous movement. No, he really freezes and locks guys up on pitches down in the zone because out of the hand, it's like, well, that pitch is going to be down. And then it just holds plane at the bottom of the zone because he gets so much of that induced vertical break. It's ridiculous. And to me, that's kind of the interesting thing is that like, again, any way you look at it, half the battle is having good stuff. You then have to understand where I'm going to be most effective when you're talking about working within the nine quadrants of the strike zone. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that the Bryce Miller's ability to command it to the bottom of the zone. Um, Garrett Acton, when he was on here, shout out Garrett. He just got his big league call up today, a uh, friend of the podcast. And he talked about how the ability to get a looking strike at the bottom of the zone, because he has high vert. Um, he's a similar guy that um, gets that similar backspun fastball that he gets a lot of swing and misses at the top of the zone. And I, I straight up kind of asked him, like, do you live at the top of the zone? Like, how do you pit? How do you approach that? How do you attack hitters? And he's like, no, I, I steal strikes at the bottom of the zone too, because it can get that perception down um, and lock hitters up. Cause it looks like it's going to be in the dirt. Next thing you know, it's a, a fastball strike. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of hear that, be kind of come back into the game, right? The, when we were high school kids, it was command the fastball glove side to the knee, right? And no matter who you were, if you could do that, you were a good pitcher in the eyes of a lot of coaches. And now it's become pitch to your strengths. You have a guy like Spencer Strider, who's no more than five foot 10, five foot 11. He's able to get down the mound, good extension down the mound, even for a short guy. Um, he, he must have the most flexible hips in the world because the With ability the biggest to get, quads ever. Yeah, his quads are huge and he gets down the mound. So his release height is so low that like the ability to get to the top of the zone is really the only way he should get there. Um, I don't think he can comfortably get to the bottom of the zone is probably the best way well, to say I it. Think, the way I he think moves. he can, he can get to the bottom of the zone. I just think when it's coming out of that slot, right? What it does to a hitter's eyes is it's not, as jumpy as the fastball for Strider to the top of the zone, you know, like yeah. when he, when he's to the bottom of the zone, cause he can, I mean, his stuff and his fastball is so good. We're talking about a guy who, you know, again, has the best or the second best fastball in baseball. Um, so it's not like he's struggling to pitch to any quadrants of the zone, but I think when he goes to the top, it just looks like it's moving. It's jumping. I mean, he has the seventh best, you know, inches of drop on the fastball, 9.8, which is basically just holding plane. That's, I mean, it's crazy. Um, and, you know, he, he 17, 17 inches of vertical break and he's getting 92% efficiency on it. So that means however many RPMs that ball spins, 92% of them are controlling what the ball does, right? Because some of them are useless and it doesn't work. And, and when you see a good change up, you're killing spin and that's getting too deep in the weeds here. But I think for one of the biggest things that, you know, we're kind of touching on here is like in player development, right? Like instead of saying like fat, you have to, to be a good pitcher, you have to command the fastball to the glove side down. Like, that's it. We need our guys to do that. Or you have to be able to throw a change up to be a pitcher in the big leagues. Not calling any teams out, but there's teams out there who believe that. My point is 
everybody's different. And if you can maximize what a guy does best, and we've said this many times, it's a lot easier than focusing on what a guy can't do and trying to fix that. If I can see what you can do and the, you know, the ability that you bring to the table and then maximize that, I'm going to get way more value out of you than anybody else. And guess who's kind of coined that? And everybody, people are starting to catch up. That's what the Rays have done, getting injured guys and focus on what they can do. That's what the Dodgers have done. That's what the Astros have done. And it's like, it, one, it's a lot easier for your coaching staff. But B, it's a lot easier for guys who have now gotten to this level, whatever level they're at in your organization, because they obviously can do something well. So instead of trying to fix what they can't do well, why don't we maximize what they do do well? Yeah, and I think I actually just had got off the phone with a friend of mine and, and had this conversation about, you know, the ability to pitch with two pitches in the big leagues, right? We look at Denilson Lamette was kind of a prototypical example of that, of when he came up, he was a guy that got a ton of swing and miss, like just an elite amount of swing and miss. And in 2020, in the COVID shortened year, he had 93 strikeouts in 69 innings and pitched to a 2.09. And a lot of people never believed he could have success as a starter. Um, because he was a two pitch guy, right? Cause you need that third pitch. You need that pitch that goes away from a lefty in terms of the changeup that gets away from their barrel that has to get a lefty extended. And Spencer Strider's kind of just shown that maybe if an organization like the Padres had kept Denilson Lamette healthy, that's a big part of that it. That was the biggest and thing. Then, yeah. And then being able to put him in a position to be successful. He could have had a lot of success. And you look at Spencer Strider, he's 61% fastball, 34% um, slider, and 5% changeup. And he worked on the changeup a lot this this offseason. But the ability to just command that slider to the dead zone of a lefty is almost better. And sure, you're more prone to make some mistakes that might go for homers. But in terms of being able to pitch with two pitches in the big leagues and get consistent outs. It's really impressive to see what Spencer Strider has been able to do. And he really is one of the, you know, aces across baseball. And he's arguably one of the best starters in the game. And and I don't know if you have any closing thoughts on, on Spencer Strider there. No, I mean, they're both studs and, and I mean, they're both two of the, you know, the best and most fun watches in baseball right now. And, and shoot, the Mariners needed the injection. I mean, that Mariners pitching staff now with Bryce Miller, um, is really, really good. Yeah. And he's, he's been great pitching to a 0.47 ERA through his first three starts, just been absolutely electric. But another guy that you wanted to talk about and you wanted to dive into, so I'm kind of going to let the floor be yours is Julio Arias. He's pitching to a 3.61 ERA with 52 Ks and 52 and a third innings, which to on the surface level seems pretty good, but for a guy that's going to be a free agent at 26 years old this offseason, that's not exactly what we've become accustomed to for Arias. He is doing a very good job limiting hard contact, um, which is, as we've spoken about several times, the name of the game, 72nd percentile hard hit percentage, 74th percentile ex average exit velocity, but the barrel percentage is up and the expected slugging percentage is up. So Dan, as you kind of digest what Arias has been able to do, what are some of the things that stand out that you think he could improve on to become more in line with the guy that we've seen over the past couple of years who sits in the twos with his ERA? Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing is because, yeah, on the surface, and we're talking about 52 innings here. So some of this is obviously just like a, it, it could be a stretch here, right? We talk about it all the time. He's going to have what, six fifty. 
200 to 452 inning stretches this year is what you hope. Um, if you're the Dodgers, if he stays healthy, you're going to get 200 innings out of him. So he's going to have four stretches that are 50 innings. But it's interesting to look at, you know, if this is a quarter of his season, what's kind of going on? Because, one, he's in a contract year, and a lot of times you see guys, especially in baseball, perform really well in contract years, right? You think of guys like um, – kind of really coming out and putting their, their their worth on the table so they can get that contract. But the expectation for me for Julio Arias is be in the NL Cy Young conversation, which he has been the last two years. And when he's healthy, he has been one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's probably been the best, if not one of the best left-handed pitchers in the league, starting pitchers in the league. Think about guys like him and Max Fried um, that throw it from the left side. It's interesting, though, because you look at his numbers – He's not getting the punch outs. He's never been a, a high strikeout guy, but he's gotten more punch outs than he has um, this year. He's usually a little more than one an inning. He's about right at one an inning. To me, he's a guy who's always kind of been fastball changeup, right? He, he mixes in the slider or the slurve a good bit, but the fastball changeup has been huge to him because teams have stacked right-handed hitters against him. Well, the issue has become this year that the changeup has just gotten absolutely obliterated. Guys are slugging 655 off of it, which is not going to hold up. The expected slug is 420, but still, to have a pitch that's a 420 expected slug is not good. It's flattened out a lot. It's only getting 0.8 inches of drop. Last year, it was negative 0.6. So that's a big difference when you think about it. That's over an inch of difference from last year to this year. And to me, I don't understand it because pretty much like Denilson Lamette with the slider, he has a really good slur. Right. He throws a slurve. He can get it in on guys. He's developed a cutter. So for him to get to the right handed hitters dead zone and get them off the plate more, I think that's where he needs to start going. Not to mention that he has been a really good glove side fastball guy. And if the changeup is flatter and easier to recognize, then that glove side fastball isn't going to move people off the plate. When he comes in with it, they're going to open up their hips. And I think that's kind of what's killed him a little bit this year because he has a 290 expected batting average on the fastball. They're, they're slugging 511. It's a 526 expected slug. So, like, those are two of your top three pitches that you're using the most, and they're getting absolutely crushed. That's where the alarm bells go off for me. The chase rate's really good because of the slurve. The cutter, which he's only thrown 9% of the time this year, has been a good pitch for him so far. It hasn't really gotten hit hard. So I think for me, it's just he needs to it needs to be a tick in pitch usage. Stop being afraid to spin the ball to right-handed hitters. If you can paint the glove side fastball in and throw the cutter off of it, you're going to get a lot of really ugly swings. Cliff Lee made a living doing this. Cliff Lee had the same pitch mix as Julio Arias his entire career. Cliff Lee didn't throw his changeup that much, and he he got stacked with righty lineups all day. The guy won a Cy Young Award throwing fastball, cutter, curveball, essentially, and then mixing in the other stuff off of it. And really, Cliff Lee, it was because he could dot his fastball to the glove side and throw the cutter off of it, and guys would get so frustrated, right-handed hitters specifically would get so frustrated because they couldn't react in time to keep that ball fair. Yeah, and, and you see the addition of the cutter this year, and this is what I'll kind of follow up with this on this question is there's obviously we've talked about the ability to move multiple planes, right? When you talk about pitch movement of like if you're gonna have a fastball that rises, as we talked about with Spencer Strider and Bryce Miller, it better cross over another plane, whether it be horizontally arm side or horizontally glove side, like we see with a lot of those guys that cut it. I'm digesting the pitch movements. 
he was very, very, very vertical with the fastball. It was a very flat fastball in terms of how it moves horizontally. Do you think there's a conscious effort to get horizontal more and kind of cut off more planes? And has that impeded what he's able to do a little bit? Potentially. I honestly just think that the one, the fastball command hasn't been great. And I think that's a big part of it. And I think that's something that you're going to see come back um, this year, just because again, when you're talking about just a quarter of a guy's season, guys are going to go through stretches where they lose, you know, the touch on their pitch. It's impossible to have pinpoint location on every pitch. You very rarely, you know, Greg Maddox, Roy Halladay are like the only guys who could do it every start in and out. But yeah, I think that's something that you have to look at Trevor. I, I, think that to me adding the cutter was positive because if he's going to ride the vert with the four scene like you said to then cross over that horizontal plane for guys it was smart but throw it more because now the chain again the change up that's the biggest issue with the change up right now you're getting one plane break you're getting arm side run and that's it you're not getting the depth that you had on the change up before i don't know if that's a grip thing i don't know if that's a he's just feeling for it but the Sit there and continue to say, all right, I'm going to set up fastball and then I'm going to go change up here to right-handed hitters for the most part. And then watching it get crushed doesn't really seem like a recipe for success. If you're talking about a guy who in the past, you know, has shown that he can pitch with um, fastball slurve. And now that he has the cutter again, the cutter, you know, and I think the cutter was kind of more so them trying to get side to side and more so I think just giving him another pitch that's firm. So yes, mm-hmm. another pitch that changes planes that's firm. So not just off of it. And think about kind of his pitch mix and a guy that's on in that rotation that's a Hall of Famer in Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw went to that slider cutter, you know, probably four or five years into his career and it opened doors for him. But Kershaw didn't throw the change up as much. He started throwing the cutter slider more. And that kind of became his dominant pitch. And as he's gotten older, it's that usage has gone up and up and up to keep guys off of the outside part of the plate and to keep guys off the curveball. He's gone with the, the cutter slider in. And I would like to see Arias kind of do that same thing. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because the ability to get in on lefties, I've always thought of the guys with the – like call him a sweeper, call him a slurve, call it a curve, whatever, whatever it is, yeah. banger curve, right, For to the opposite hand. Those are very effective, right, because they they look like they start in the other batter's box and then they tuck, you know, back leg you. They get in that back leg. They get in that dead zone. But the ability to command that with the consistency is so, is so hard, yeah. right? The and so the cutter, it, it means well. So, you know, is this kind of, in your opinion, one of those guys that we obviously don't see the expected stats being what we are accustomed to with a guy who has a 2.88 ERA on his career? We're not just talking about in a year-to-year basis. This is a guy who's been great his whole career when he's been on the mound of a guy where the expected stats tell us one thing, but it's that progress might not be directly correlated to the results right now. Right, Absolutely. where we're going Absolutely. to see him be better as he gets more comfortable with this pitch mix. Yeah, I think I, I 100%. Just because I think he's too good and he's too talented. And again, this is a guy, in my opinion, who's like you're talking about a Cy Young candidate every year. When he's going good, this guy is a frontline guy who's a, one, he's a workhorse, right? He pitches deep into games, he's not a max effort guy. So, yes, I think this is a guy who's working through something. And I think, again, as long as he can figure this usage out and look, the Dodgers are way smarter than me. I'll admit that. So I know that they're looking at this stuff and they're sitting down with him, but you got to get comfortable too, 
right? There's one thing to be able to sit there pre-start and sit down and show him his numbers and be like, look, man, when you're facing right-handed hitters now, your whip's over one, you you know, you're, you've given up seven homers to righties already this year, like, we got to figure something out. And he's got he's probably buying in because this is a guy, again, who's pitching for a contract right now. So he's like, yeah, yeah. But then when you get out there on the mound, you got to be able to trust that, right? And that takes a while. Like, I don't care what level you are. There's very few people who are going to be able to, like, only if you're desperate are you going to flip that switch that quickly. So, yes, I think to go back to your kind of original question, there's a long-winded answer to a simple question. But, like, yeah, if he can figure out kind of this usage thing and he can start – really figuring out the cutter, flipping the slurve off of the – because the cutter can also set up the slurve. Not only can it keep guys off the fastball glove side and fastball arm side, but it can also set up the slurve for them too because of, like you're saying, that two-plane break that's coming off of it. So I think for me, if he can – as long as he can get that adjusted, he'll be good. Good job. Uh, trying to snap Tyson off a curveball and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm beating up Yeah, you mic. punched your microphone. Um, and th- this will kind of be, uh, cause I'm looking at the command here and the, and the location charts on his baseball savant page. Fastball being down. Tell me this cutter is not a rising cutter that we talk about. It almost is movement wise. It's, it's like more a of a slider. Yes. It's, correct. it's like a slider that moves a lot, but it has, it's downward vertical movement. It is, it is sinking. Where he's commanding three of his pitches, I would Same sign zone. up for that every day of the week, yeah. right? You want that cutter cutting into righties down because it has that sink. Change up away. You have the slurve kind of get me over. How hard is it to train a pitcher to still command the fastball up like he's so good at, but work a pitch down, right? He's bringing in a new pitch and he's intentionally getting it down because you do not want that cutter up because of how much sink it has, it's just it going to run into out. hitting yep. zones. So he's working on getting that cutter down, 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 down. It seems like the fastball is just following too, and that fastball is not good enough to be down. Well, I, yeah, again, I think fastball command has been a little bit of an issue. I don't know if there's necessarily a correlation between the two pitches, and that's why the fastball is. I just think the fastball is a tick off. Look at the changeup location too. You don't really want to throw again. You can tell by his the heat map there that the changeup's flattened out as well. The heat maps. He's in the middle of the plate with the changeup. So I and and up right belt level, which is like that's I mean that's nitro zone where he's throwing that changeup as far as height wise. Um, he's keeping it on the outer part of the plate. But to me, I think it's more so just like an eyesight thing, right? Like you just want, <clears throat> you just need to set your eyes and set your sights. And honestly, that seems like such a simple fix, but sometimes guys can get away from that. And if you start, so maybe yes, because if you start zoning in on the cutter, hey, I'm trying to get this down and in, and then and then you're, you're kind of uh, focusing on the glove and getting that down and in, then you're, you lose your sights on your fastball. That would be the only thing with that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what my thoughts were, was like the ability to adjust where you're locating that cutter. And it throws off where you're locating the fastball, and it like makes sense. And, and credit him for for making adjustments that we ultimately think is going to make him be better in a walk year, right? Like, yeah, the Dodgers came to him and obviously presented this information, or he found information in a different way, and he thought this was going to improve his career and, and set him up for success going into free agency. But the ability to make these adjustments and 
in a walk year and not trust the fact that you're a guy who's been unbelievable his whole career. Like this is a guy who, when he's been healthy, has been one of the best starters and most dominant starters across baseball to make those adjustments at this point. Real interesting. It's real interesting to see, but I think long-term, I think it's going to pay dividends for him. And I think it's just going to be refining the ability to get that fastball command back where it is up the cutter usage maybe kill the changeup usage a little bit. And I think you're going to be in a pretty good position to be successful for a guy who who's going to make either the Dodgers or another free agent team very, very happy. Um, so we're going to kind of go into another segment that I'm personally very excited for. Um, it's something that we're going to run over the course of a couple episodes here. So we're kind of going to pick one uh, and then go from here. It's going to be called MLB Dictator. So basically, uh, we are Rob Manfred, but with Rob Manfred's ability to do whatever he wants. So you can change anything. The things that we're going to do, and we'll kind of tease them into the next episode, Today, we're going to relocate a team. That might be an easy decision. We're going to pick a city for them too, and we're going to kind of give them an idea for uh, what to do in that city. We're going to build a team, a new stadium in that city, obviously. We're going to fire a manager and hire a replacement, force trade a player onto another team, and then we're going to create a rule change that we want to see across the league. So five things that we're going to be very excited to, and we have full autonomy to do whatever we want across the MLB. So Dan, are you ready to put on your dictator shoes here and, and make some moves across the MLB? I have a quick question just to, to, to play the game by the rules. Am I doing this? Can I pick a different team for each of these? Or yeah, let's do it that one way. franchise. No, so you're like, picking a re- different can team. Can I build? Yes. Okay, perfect. All right, cool. But what we'll do is we'll treat it like, because it's going, the first two are going to be very easy to overlap here. If you pick, hypothetically, I'm not going to pick the one team because it's probably going to be the easiest one, the Seattle Mariners to relocate, right? Yeah. I can't pick them, but then you also can't build that team a new stadium. So there's one team gotcha. in particular that gotcha. we're probably both going to have to choose one or the <laughs> yeah, other yeah, for, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're going to have to make a split-second decision there on whether you want to just build that team a new stadium and keep them in their city, or you want to relocate them in another town. Okay. All right. Okay. This is tough. This is tough. This is, yeah. this is actually pretty um, pretty hard now that I'm thinking about it. All right. So you you lead us off. I have to, I was, I'm the host. I need oh, to tell you where to go. Yeah. So Dan, okay. give right. us our, your first relocate a team and bring them to a new city. They have to keep their, their stadium though. Huh? If, if, oh man, this is tough. So when I relocate this team, they can't, they can't get a new stadium. They we're just bringing their stadium with them. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I'm going to do it. Any, wow, wow. This made it, this just got a lot harder. All right, but I'm going to I'm taking I'm taking the Rays and I'm I'm taking them out of St. Pete, all right? The baseball thing in Florida has not been great. Um we've seen it with with the Marlins, we've seen it now with the Rays. The Rays are drawing better this year, but not nearly what they should be for a team that's head and shoulders to me the best team in baseball, and for selfish reasons, I'm moving them into North Carolina. The fact that North Carolina doesn't have a baseball team kind of bothers me. Um there's no MLB franchise between the Nationals and the Atlanta Braves. 
Yeah. Like that makes no sense to me. Like you're taking out a huge section of the country, the East Coast, where it's populated. Meanwhile, if you go to the West Coast and you sit on the coast, we got six, 18 teams that run up and down the coast. Here in, in, in on the East Coast, where there's probably more people, you have less teams between D.C. and, and Atlanta. So I'm taking the Rays. I'm moving them to Carolina. Um, what, whether what that town be in Charlotte, Carolina? Charlotte, Raleigh, you gotta doesn't pick matter. One. I'll selfish and do Raleigh. I'll get out. I, I know how excited. I mean, Hurricanes games, they, obviously the Canes playing Raleigh. Those games are sold out. I went to a regular season game against the Panthers, who now they're obviously playing in the, the Eastern Conference Finals. But at the time, the Panthers, Panthers were not playing well. Um, and that place was sold out. It was loud. They would love to have another professional team to, to get behind, I think, in this area. Um, I'm going to go raise. I'm going to put them in Raleigh selfishly. I'm also probably ditching my Phillies fandom and becoming a Rays fan full time. That's for sure. That's pretty good. I like that. I, I would not have personally thought you were going to go in that direction. So I'm going to take the easiest next answer here and I'm going to relocate the Oakland Athletics where it might be realistically happening. Happen. But, yeah. but I am not going to move them exactly where they want to go. We're going to be a little creative here. I'm keeping them in the West Coast. Um, and I am going to relocate them again. I'm going to go selfishly here, but. To Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City oh, is a place that I've gross. been um, several times. It's one of the best places to visit in the United States. And I believe that there is definitely a market there to build a beautiful stadium in a couple of years. We're going to keep the the ugly one for the first couple of years as we relocate. But I believe there is going to be a market there. The Jazz do well. Um, and there's definitely a starved fan base in that area. And I love myself. A backdrop of the mountains, snow-capped even in May, and you just have this beautiful city right in the bowl of Salt Lake City. How many people live in Salt Lake City? I'm a, I don't know. Phoebe, can you, can you look that up for me? Can you tell me how many people live in Salt Lake City with the population? is? All right. While she's doing that, I'm going a, I'm to a build a new team, so I'll go real quick here. Um, Phoebe, you can interrupt me if you want, if you get that answer. Um, Brutal. We're moving. It's quality over quantity. There's 200,000 people. Golly, you might as well move them to freaking Wilmington, Delaware. Quality over quantity. Um, All right, fair enough. I'm instead of moving the A's, I'm going to build them a brand new, beautiful ballpark. I can't get over those scenes of the A's the last time they were in the playoffs. That place was rocking. It's just a dump. Build them something new, build them something beautiful. Government in Oakland, you've had the Warriors taken from you. They moved them across the bridge. You've had the Raiders taken from you. Step up, build a new stadium for the A's, force management out of there, put a winner on the field, let those weird fans who were playing jazz music in the upper deck of left field have fun again. I mean, if no one's seen it, watch Grant Balfour coming into the, to the game in the playoffs in 2013. The place was electric. I'm giving the A's a new stadium. Colin Palouse is your ace and you're pitching in a brand new stadium. Do you have – give me some ideas for what that new stadium is going to look like. I'm good with the artist rendering we got last offseason when they were kicking the tires on it. You know, it was absolutely – it it was gorgeous. Waterfront ballpark, maybe a nice berm in the outfield somewhere, a walkway, build some restaurants around there, kind of gentrifying area maybe, put it right on the water. Like look how well the Giants do out on the bay. Telling me the A's couldn't do the same thing. Build a little, you know, build a Jose Canseco Cove out there. 
and, and and right field and let guys just crush baseballs into it. I don't know who on the A's would do it. Watch visiting players crush baseballs into it. That's fair. That's fair. And probably, I mean, for, for our listeners that are tuning into this segment, I think everybody's pretty consensus across baseball about who they would either A, re- relocate or build a new stadium. So I don't think this came as much as a surprise, but I'm building the Tampa Bay Rays a new stadium. Good. And the reason why is because the weather there is beautiful. Get them outdoors. Get them like what the Rogers Center has, this retractable roof, roof so yeah. that people are able to enjoy the early spring in Florida. People are more motivated to get down there for April, for late March, even early May before it gets scorching hot, and then kick the AC on and throw a retractable roof over top of it. Put it on Tampa Bay itself, whether it be in St. Pete, just put it on the water. We've seen the ability to build these almost metropolis towns around stadiums. You see it in Atlanta. I was there last year. It's so phenomenal. They got restaurants, they have bars, they have apartments, hotels. It's a very good area to just hang out attract families there. People are permanent in Florida now, right? We talk about the snowbirds. When the Tampa Bay Rays became an organization in that in the mid-2000s, it was all New York Yankee fans that showed up to baseball games. Now there's families in Tampa Bay area. There's families in St. Pete. There are people that want to go watch baseball. You give them a beautiful stadium and treat it like a spring training stadium. Give them a berm in the outfield. Give them some picnic tables. Give them standing room only seats and make them cheaper so that people are able to enjoy the Florida weather and enjoy the the atmosphere rather than going to the dungeon that we consider the trop. Well, and listen, the the trop is a dump. That's all I'm going to say. And you talk about building Metropolis. They have. St. Pete is gorgeous. There's so much new construction down there. They've made St. Pete awesome. Like they are right now like a block and a half where they sit from maybe a little bit more from the water as it is like, this is not hard. Tear that dump down. They have a soccer stadium right there. I don't even know who plays there. I don't think it's an MLS franchise. It's like some like Tampa FC. It's like, no, it's not even, it's like, I know I made that up. It's some soccer indie league that probably, you know, I don't even know who plays in there, but it's like right on the water. It's great. You know? Yeah. They deserve much better. Whether they're in Raleigh or in Tampa, they deserve better. I still remember a year ago, we're in Florida, Arcadia. We had dinner reservations, and I wanted to make sure that the reservations were good. So I went out to the place. Dude, you're just sitting on like the edge of the water somewhere, just hanging out. Like it's gorgeous. You cannot beat that. Why are we having an indoor stadium in a place that's just gorgeous all the time? Like, sure, it rains sometimes. That's what the retractable roof's for. And let's just let's get them something where you can hang out, enjoy the good weather. I mean, it would be a, it would be a hot spot in October, right? Like that would be a tourist opportunity for you know yankees come in for a playoff series i don't care if you don't get home field advantage but people will come in and be like you know what i'm gonna make it a weekend come down to tampa see some family you know everybody in new york's grandparents live in the tampa bay area now so you get you get to knock out a couple stone kill a couple birds with one stone one trip down so that was fun there dan we got a couple more that we're gonna do over the course of a couple episodes did you did you enjoy that there I did. This is really fun. And uh, I, I can't wait to do some of these other ones, specifically fire a manager and hire a replacement. I think you'll like my answer for that. I really do. That's going to be interesting because I was just thinking about it and that one's going to be a tough one, but I, I'll just have to sit down and do it. Um, 
And uh, we'll we'll actually put this out on social media too. We'll put the clip in. So make sure that to our listeners, whether you want to send us a, shoot us a text, the DM or reply to the tw- tweet and let us know who your team would be that you relocate and also to build a team, a new stadium. We think it'd be a lot of fun to have some interaction and also more ideas for anybody who wants to present us with some ideas. We'd love to have that as well. But Dan, I'm going to turn the microphone on you. You're going to take the hosting chair here because your episode game here that we've been kind of doing the past couple episodes here, um, you're going to take the floor. Yeah, so we're going to play, you know, the the game that everybody loved to, loves to play, game that is played uh, all over the country, I like to think. We're going to play a little uh, Would You Rather. Um, and Trevor, this is going to be for you. I'll chime in a little bit after when I don't like your answers, inevitably. Um, but you can take this kind of however you want to be. All right, so you can take it as the position they're in now, the way the future looks, um, just because of enjoyment, um, whatever. But... My first we'll go, one we'll is, go future. We'll go future. Oh, like, who would I rather? I figured have you might take future? that. I figure you might yeah. take that. That um, okay. That thing. That's why I, I kind of just some of these matchups. Just twenty twenty three season though, or like beyond. No, it, however you want. That's what I'm saying. I figured you would do twenty twenty three and beyond because that's just kind of how your brain works when it comes to baseball. But Ooh. if you want to do just twenty twenty three, that's even more fun. Because that's what we'll I was kind of hoping for. All right, perfect. All right, so would you rather be the Milwaukee Brewers, who are 23-17 and 17 with a game-and-a-half lead over the plummeting Pittsburgh Pirates? Who called that? I did. You're welcome, everyone. Um, I told you they weren't good. Or would you rather be the Minnesota Twins, who are 23-18 and 18 with a three-and-a-half game lead over the Guardians? The Twins obviously have some star power that hasn't produced. Carlos Correa is in the dregs right now. Um, the Brewers have had some health issues, but don't look now. Christian Yelich is homering every other at bat uh, over the weekend. So that really should excite you, especially with some of the youth that's been injected in there. Not to mention that their aces haven't quite thrown like aces yet. Brandon Woodruff's been banged up. Peralta and Burns are still trying to find their footing. Who would you rather be, Brewers or Twins? I'm, I'm going to have to go with the Minnesota Twins primarily because of the top-end talent that they're able to have. When I look at the Minnesota Twins, you have a guy in Joey Gallo, Joey Gallo fan club, stand up. We're starting to get traction on social media. People are loving the Joey Gallo fan club there. Um, So for anybody who wants to join, make sure you're checking out the tweets. We're, We're definitely posting when Joey Gallo hits home runs. You have a guy like Carlos Correa who you know, whether he's going to compete for an MVP like he has in the past or he's just going to be a productive player, you know you're going to get some form of production out of him. Byron Buxton is one of the best baseball players across the MLB. He's only DHing now. You're hoping you save his legs there. And then you transition into the other side of the ball, right? You have Sonny Gray who has really just reinvented himself into being you know, a top of the line rotation starter again. Pablo Lopez has been great since coming over from Miami. And the kicker of it all might be Joe Ryan, who's obviously been a guy that added a pitch this offseason. He's starting to round into form, enters prime. I worry about Again, you mentioned Christian Yelich. He was the guy we talked about at the beginning of the year. If the Brewers got Christian Yelich to be Christian Yelich, We'd be in good hands, but now we got questions about Corbin Burns. Is Brandon Woodruff going to be healthy? All of those question marks that hang over the team. And, and we know that was my NL Central pick before the year. It's looking good. I'm happy about it. I'm content. I think Corbin Burns is going to continue to get better as the season goes on. But in terms of what I'm looking at, more likely to win at the end of the year, be the one team standing. I got to go Minnesota Twins um, for the Would You Rather. 
I'm, I'm in. I like the Twins. I said that in the offseason that I was on the Twins bandwagon. I do really like the Brewers as well. Like you said, I'm content with the Brewers, but I really like what the Twins are doing, especially if those guys start playing to their potential. Like, imagine if Carlos Correa started playing to his potential. They'll run away with that thing. Um, yeah, and their bullpen's really good too. Oh, the bullpen's very good. Uh, next one, would you rather be the Arizona Diamondbacks who are filled with youth? They're having a lot of fun. Outside of their ace, who is an absolute legit ace and one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball, and Zach Gallen, they don't have a they have some question marks in the rotation. But they are twenty two and eighteen. They've played great. They've been a, a fun story this year. Um, they are three games back at the Dodgers in second place. Or would you rather be the Chicago Cubs, who have thrown some money at some star power? They've taken some chances on a guy like Cody Bellinger. Uh, Marcus Stroman's having a great start to the year. They are nineteen and twenty one in third place in the Central, four games behind the Brewers. I'm going to go with the Arizona Diamondbacks because of the youth that you mentioned. I look at the Chicago Cubs roster, and while it does excite me, there's a lot of players that I really like. Cody Bellinger, Ian Happ, Dansby Swanson, Christopher Morrell, um, and then obviously Justin Steele's been just phenomenal on the pitching side of things. He looks like a guy who does have staying power with below average stuff. But the Diamondbacks are the team for me because you hang your hat on the future, right? When you look at the Chicago Cubs – Cody Bellinger's been a resurgence, but is that the best version of Cody Bellinger that we're going to get moving forward? Is he going to compete for MVPs? Corbin Carroll's only going to get better. Yep. Gabriel Moreno's only going to get better. Zach Gallen is legitimately a dominant ace. Christian Walker is one of the best players across baseball. So while 2023 might not be the year to make it happen in terms of winning a World Series, I don't think either of these teams are winning a World Series. But when you combine getting the young guys experience that they've been able to get experience and then transition it into parlaying it into success further down the road, I'm taking the Diamondbacks every single day because there are question marks about that Chicago Cubs roster in the future. Perfect. They, are we going to agree on all all four of these? Probably. Yeah. That's why. That's I'll that's our shocked. biggest problem about uh, as no, because there's time we don't we, disagree we, enough. We do disagree a good bit, and usually when we do stuff like this, we disagree. But I I I'm kind of surprised by um, our start so far. Um, the next one, the next one. Would you rather be the 31 and 11 Tampa Bay Rays who are sitting firmly atop first place? in the American League East, which is one of the best divisions in baseball. Um, They have a bunch of guys who are cheating. If you ask Evan, what's his name? Evan Roberts, um, the back of their baseball card. That's all you need to do. Look at the back of their baseball card. You know these guys actually stink. No one's allowed to get better in Sports Talk Radio Universe. Or would you rather be everyone's beloved New York Yankees? They've won a million World Series. They're 23-19. and They're eight games already behind the race. They're in dead last in the AL East, but those Yankee fans – as always, are vocal on Twitter. Phoebe, clip this, write this time down, because uh, if there's going to be a social media clip, that's going to come from this. Uh, it's going to be this one. I'll tell you, I'm, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the Yankees, um, and I'm going to tell you why. Because yeah. we saw this with the Yankees last year. You get off to that hot start. It is hard to go first to finish at, in pole position. Yeah. It is very, very hard to do it. Baseball is a hard sport to be consistent across the 162 plus. You got to go win a World Series in this stretch. We're seeing it with the Yankees. They're taking their injuries early. We got Drew Rasmussen, who went from pitching seven in, in New York in the Bronx to 60 day IL next day. No questions. What? What happened? 
That's unfortunate. Jeffrey Springs looked like an ace of all aces. He goes down with TJ. Tyler Glass now comes back, comes up lame in the first inning of his rehab start with another oblique injury. He's never pitched 100 innings in a full season, right? So you have a team playing their best baseball in May and a team who injury luck has been on their side, kind of, but their injury luck has been the opposite of losing guys for long extended periods of time. The Yankees injury luck has come early. You have guys like Donaldson and Stanton who can't rely on being healthy, right? But you assume you're going to get Carlos Rodon back. You assume you're going to, you know, you're getting Severino back in the next couple of weeks. You're assume you're going to get Frankie Montas back. If that team can start playing better baseball in August and September and the Rays are going to have to come back down to earth at some point. Taylor Walls is not going to OPS 950. Yandy Diaz is legit. Wander Franco is legit. Like Randy Rosarena is legit. So like they have superstars, but the guys like Josh Lowe, the guys like Taylor Walls, the guys like that that are performing at absurd, Christian Bethencourt's at absurd levels with the starting pitcher injuries that they've had, I just think when you look at the roster as it stands right now, that might not be the roster performing the way they're performing come October. And the Yankees are only going to get healthier. They're only going to get better. And you can at least hang your hat on the fact that you know these big name arms that we believed in before the year that could push them over the top are going to be back. You're not going to run Clark Schmidt out there once those guys are healthy. All right. And I won't take too long responding here, but I couldn't disagree more. The Rays have had terrible injury luck. They've had Jeffrey Springs go down for the year. Drew Rasmussen go down for the year. You mentioned Glasnow. There's still 20 games over 500. The Yankees who have had bad injury luck are five games over. Now, I hear your point, but the Rays are still running Zach Eflin out there, who's been fantastic. Shane McClanahan, who started the All-Star game. If we're going to assume Carlos Rodon's going to be back after he started throwing and then had to get re-shut down, then I think we should be allowed to say at least Glasnow made it to the mound. Reports are he's going to make his next rehab start anyway, even with the oblique. Then I'm going to assume Glasnow comes back too and let him pitch the rest of the way. You can skip starts. And the Rays, you know they're going to continue to find ways to pitch. So I think they've had equally as bad injury luck. Because look, if we are doing track record with Glasnow, which is scary, Giancarlo Stanton is going to play 50 more games this year before he blows another hamstring out and then he's going to be out again and you're going to be waiting on Stanton to be healthy for the playoffs and he hasn't swung a bat in two months like they did last year. I think that's a bold game to play. Also, the injury thing to Donaldson is killer to me because this is a guy who was trying to have a bounce back year. Now that's another setback for him. I think the Rays are just deeper. Look, also guys playing better baseball. Yeah, Taylor Walls isn't going to OPS 950. Brandon Lau isn't going to hit under 200 either. Like Brandon Lau's too good to hit under 200 for the rest of the year. So yeah, when Walls comes back down to earth as constructed, you would think then Brandon Lau gets better. Now, if Franco, Rosarena, or Yandi go down for any period of time, now you're really talking about them being in trouble. I don't think they're going to pace Major League Baseball the way they are current. I mean, they have a plus 120 run differential already. The Rangers are second best right now at plus 89. They're at 120. Could this be a little bit of what we saw out of the Yankees last year? Yes, but the Yankees still held on to win that division. Yeah, well, no, I think the Rays are going to win the division. That's not – I'm saying World Series Playoffs. specifically. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, fair. like it, you have to play 180 still, games of consistent baseball. And if it if they had Jeffrey Springs healthy and I could hang my hat on Rasmussen being there, it wouldn't be a question. But I just like the out the future outlook of the Yankees rotation healthy. You go Garrett Cole, Severino, Rodon, Montaz, and Herman's been pitching well. Cortez has been very good over the last couple of years. I know he scuffled to start the year, but his expected stats are good. Over, you're not getting Jeffrey Springs back. Rasmussen get Rasmussen you. back at the end of the year is your hope, they, right? Best case scenario. Best, best case, case scenario. scenario. Yeah. So even let's assume he does come but back. Glasnow, McClanahan, Eflin. Like I, I mean, to me, it's like Eflin's the one guys. that's like he's a still... wild card for sure. But yeah. to me, it's like he was he was a good pitcher in Philadelphia. He ran into knee problems. He's now in an organization where they do make guys better, or they cheat if you're Evan Roberts. So he's obviously going to pitch better. Yeah. And right. who's going to be more aggressive at the deadline? The Yankees will be. That's where you might get the edge. It'll be interesting because we aren't even close to that time of year of knowing who's available. But if it fits a need for the Yankees, I would imagine that Cashman will go in for it because teams can't ask for Anthony Volpe this year. He's their big league shortstop. Yeah. Um. Last one here. This, I think, is probably the most interesting one. I'm sorry. I'm a bad game show host. I probably should have let off with it. Braves or Astros? The Atlanta Braves are 25-15. and 15. They are five games up on the Phillies. Um, they have lost four in a row now, though, which is a little bit concerning, but it's going to happen. They're still 10 games over. We know the star power we have. They have some pitching injuries. Max Fried's a little bit concerning. Kyle Wright's a little bit concerning. Or would you rather be the defending World Series champion, Houston Astros, who are only 21 and 19? They've scuffled out of the gate. They've had some injury problems. They're three and a half games back of the Rangers, who have continued to just mash the baseball. The Astros, interesting enough, interestingly enough, it's been the offense that's held them back. I mean, they've only given up 147 runs on the year, but they've only scored 171 to put that into perspective teams who are also struggling. Like the Phillies have scored 173. The Reds have scored 170 run. The giants have scored 172. The Rockies have scored 177. That's not a great group to be in. I'm going to go with the Atlanta Braves. Um, and solely because the lineup is in every way intimidating. Ozzy Albies has 10 home runs and you just blinked. They have two above average catchers. The shortstop position, I don't even know if you could say it's a question mark. RC has been really good since he's, you know, been playing every day. Matt Olson and Austin Riley on the corners. And then you have the best player in baseball and Ronald Acuna arguably in the in the corner outfield. I think they could use help in left field. Um I don't want to trot Kevin Pillar and Eddie Rosario and Sam Hilliard rotation in the outfield in any way. Obviously not a fan of Marcelo Zuna for a multitude of reasons. The reason it kind of gives me pause is the Astros rotation I like a lot, probably a lot more. They're healthier. Max Fried goes down again. Kyle Wright's going to be out longer than Max Fried. They've already come out and said that. You're hanging your hat a lot on Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, like guys that aren't needle movers. Christian Javier has been working through some stuff, but we talked about this with Wheeler and Nola. You pitch deep into the season. It's hard to regain that stuff. Um, you have guys like Hunter Brown who look like future studs. So I think when it, when big picture wise, 
the Astros have the better rotation, but I'm hanging my hat on the consistency of the Braves, the ability to have that group locked up, the ability to have that group together playing every day. You don't have to make any moves across the board unless you want to go get a high high ceiling guy to play left field. Their lineup is set, assuming no injuries. You want the pitching staff to be healthy, but I like the Braves. They didn't play deep into October last year. They're fresh, and they're better than the World Series team in 2021. I agree. So I agree again. I think that's the toughest one, but I think it's the Braves. Um, all the reasons you laid out, that lineup might be the best in baseball. And look, this if their pitching is healthy, it could be. In, and Mike Soroka is only 25 years old, and he's lurking. Like I, I really hope we get to see Mike Soroka on the mound again. The guy was a Cy Young contender before all the injuries. You know, Two Achilles tears is brutal, but he's back. His fastball velocity is back. The slider's back. As long as he can get his command back, which is what he's been dealing with a little bit in the minors, um, you'll see him on a big league mound for the Braves. Freed and, yeah. and like the, the pitching injuries are concerning. I just think the Astros offense is concerning. Look, Jose Abreu has the track record of being a really good offensive player. Jose Abreu's old. Like, I'm sorry. I, so that's what concerns me there. Obviously, you're going to get Altuve back after he broke his thumb in the World Baseball Classic. But like, there's some concerns there with the Astros, not to mention to your point. Like, when you, if we're talking this year and winning a World Series, they won it last year. They played until November. The Braves were done in early October. They played a whole extra month. And um, the way it looks right now, the Astros are going to have to battle to win that division. That's how it looks right now. The Braves aren't. That could change in the course of a week. We could be sitting here next week, and the Astros could have a good week. Rangers have a bad week. They're in first, and vice versa in the East. The Braves continue to slide. The Phillies continue to play better. The Mets get hot, and they could be in a battle. But right now, how it sits, the Braves are also going to have the easier path to the postseason, which can you know you can allow some time for those guys to get healthy. Definitely, but in from the Astros lineup perspective, I know Altuve is not in it, but who scares you? Alvarez, the two Tucker. That's it. And that's it. Like Bregman, I know we love Bregman. He's great, but he doesn't scare you. No. Jeremy Pena, he's okay. Jeremy like Pena, a, and I, I don't mean to – when people say this, they mean it in a harsh way. He got overrated because of his postseason performance. He struggled mightily offensively as a rookie in the regular season, and he's having a lot of the same issues. He was a great postseason performer. It's hard to continuously bank on yeah. that. Like, oh, get to the postseason, Pena will show up again. Like he got a little bit inflated, right? His perception got inflated because of what he did in the postseason. That's yeah. all. No, definitely. He runs. He does hit for some powers, but I don't see it um, as being like what he was in the World Series at all. But um, definitely uh, going Braves there. But pretty cool segment there. We're going to have to do that again. We'll have to do that maybe on some negative things. Like would you rather be the White Sox or the Cardinals? It's like oof. Think about that one for a second, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> but um, any closing thoughts before we before we get out of here? No. Awesome. None. Well, none. Not not at all. Not not even speechless. 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 <laughs> so obviously, felt like that was a pretty fun episode. Couple different things that we did there. Um, really excited for some of the other content that we have coming out this week. I'm going to say we might have an interview. 
some point this week. I'm not going to jinx it again, but it looks like there's a, a good chance of that happening. So Dan and I are super excited for that one. We've been talking about Colin, about getting him, resurrecting him from the dead at some point here. Uh, we're letting him grind it out in Las Vegas, making sure he's having success. So he is still a part of this. We just want to make sure that he is comfortable getting back on here when he can and when it works around his schedule. So don't think that we've uh, we've cut bait with Colin there, but make sure you're liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. Follow on all social channels, Twitter at Backside GB, Instagram at Backside Ground Balls, and TikTok at Backside Ground Ball. Trying to produce as much content as possible. Uh, Twitter game's been going up a little bit, trying to gain as many followers as we can get there. So putting out putting out clips, putting out short content, things like that, just trying to do our best way to engage our listeners. But other than that, make sure you're sharing with five friends. It's a good way to help us grow to the podcast. But we'll see you guys on the next episode. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.